Ezekiel chapter 38. Now in your pew Bibles, you're going to find that on uh, page 862, 862, Ezekiel chapter 38. Now that, that's where we're going to start. And I just want to tell you before we get there that, um, man, I, I have felt what I would just characterize as a heavy burden all week of what to say. And, and I was even thinking this morning, you know, the burden I feel doesn't even, it, it doesn't, like, how do I say this to you? It doesn't even have anything to do with you. Like, like I want to share something of value for you, but the burden I feel is just the burden of getting the message right, you know? for the Lord's sake. Because what we're gonna talk about today is the things that Emily and Abby have both led us to pray about today. And they have set the stage beautifully. Thank you, ladies. And thank you, everyone else who participated. Um, to understand what has happened in Israel and how it affects us we have to have a Christian biblical worldview. That's the first thing that you have to do. And I've been fortunate that I've been looking at the world through the lens of the Bible and the Christian life and the Holy Spirit for a very long time. I've been blessed. And my ministry goal, you know, I talked about leadership last week. As a, as a ministry leader, one of the things that I'm really big on is mission and vision, right? You know, we have a vision, which is where we want to go, and the mission is how we get there, right? So I have all kinds of sub-visions and missions in my mind, and one of those is my pastoral mission, my pastoral vision. My pastoral vision is to impart to you a Christian biblical worldview so that when these things happen, you look at them through the lens of the Holy Spirit interpreting the biblical worldview. And so with that in mind, I want to try to interpret what I see going on in our world right now and how we should consider it. And the first thing you have to do if you're going to understand what happened and why is, is you got to do something that investigators have done for centuries. You got to follow the money, right? You got to follow the money. So if you want to understand what happened, and for the sake of anybody who maybe didn't hear about it, a week ago today, a horrific strategically organized attack on the people in southern Israel just across the border from Gaza occurred and it was one of the most uh, brutal assaults on innocent civilians that we have ever seen since the days of the German Holocaust. And uh, so basically this has been an awful, awful, awful time. And you will interpret 
what you heard and seen in a lot of ways maybe, but the thing that that is at the heart of it, follow the money, is who's behind the acts of hatred and violence? Who's behind it? You know, start there. Who's behind it? Well, let me tell you who's behind it. First of all, Hamas is an extension of a larger community, shall we say, of people who hate Jews, okay? And the only people that they hate a little bit less, but almost as much, are Christians, okay? So understand that this group of terrorists who did these horrific things were being organized and funded by a greater group, a larger group. In the Bible, this group is called Persia. This nation is called Persia, but you probably know it better as Iran, okay? So they're behind this, and their stated goal for decades is the virtual destruction of every living Jew and Christians, okay? This is their stated goal. It's public, it's documented. They're not, they're not able to deny it and they don't choose to deny it. So no, don't miss the fact that there is a body of people out there, a, a society of people, a, a government, uh, whatever you choose to call it, the Bible calls it Persia, and they are behind what happened down there. And what comes next, as you follow the money, is what's motivating them. And I'm going to break all this down over the next few minutes, and I, I'll tell you right now that it will probably take a little time for me to do this. But I think it's important that we go into this week and the next several weeks as prepared as possible spiritually because I think a lot of things are coming, okay? So understand then that I'm not calling out Iran and making this political. What I'm driving at is the biblical worldview. And in the biblical worldview, what you see is, is that behind these people, who have for as long as biblical records have existed, hated, despised, and sought to destroy the Jews. These people have always been there with that stated goal. So follow the money. It's not really Iran. Iran is the facilitator for the worldly aspects of this, but it becomes supernatural. It becomes a, dis a, a distinct body of people who way, way, way back, thousands of years ago, were set against the people of Israel. Who they were really set against was God, Yahweh, the Heavenly Father, the creator of Eden and Adam and Adam's race, okay? They are set against that. They're set against Eden. They're set against 
the Lord God. They're set against the descendants of Adam. Who are they? Who are they that are set against them? Well, in the Bible, we find out that there is among the heavenly beings, the angelic realm, a group of beings who rebelled against God, who were proud and full of vanity and full of, of, of these desires of the flesh. And they were cast from heaven. They were cast from Eden, in effect, before Eden was a place on earth. And they were sent to the world, which Genesis tells us was in a state of chaos, because chaos is what they're all about. We talk about a fellow named Satan, but that's really a very uh, childlike view of this situation. There is a satanic nature to this body of beings that exist beyond space and time and that are eternal in nature like the angels of heaven for now. And so what we're confronted with then is God's fierce enemy. And God's fierce enemy has a certain degree of creative power and has in this place what I, that I would refer to as the chaos of the earth. There were creatures of their own making. This is why God had to have a flood and Genesis 6 explains this to you pretty effectively that there was a flood to wipe out these abominations that were created by lesser beings than God and yet beings that are somewhere a little bit above us in some regards. This is a broad view I'm trying to give you and I'm trying to drive it as quickly to the main thing as I can. So from this bitter hatred that exists between these totally self-absorbed, narcissistic devotees of the flesh who are also angelic in nature but fallen, fallen from grace, fallen from favor with God, who have devoted themselves to their own interests rather than the glorification of God and God's agenda. These beings are behind everything evil that you see in the world. And as soon as God creates a place on earth that is heaven on earth and invites the creation to be the, this sort of growing, never-ending domination of this chaotic world, and God creates the, the Adamic race, the, the people of Adam, and God says, now subdue and multiply. Well, guess what? The enemy who is completely possessed of what exists outside the gates of Eden is jealous, envious. It's kind of amazing because it turns out that the enemy can't seem to create anything but chaos. 
Apart from God's glory, apart from God's Holy Spirit, it seems like even the most creative fallen creatures can't do anything that doesn't result in chaos. Chaos, oppression, death, and decay. So naturally, when God creates Eden and this, uh, this people, the sons and daughters of Adam, and says to them, subdue, obviously the enemy feels threatened and pushed out of a certain place that they used to occupy, but what was occupied by chaos, oppression, death, and decay was suddenly alive and vibrant and productive and beautiful, and there was cosmic order. So naturally, the enemy infiltrated and attacked the people of Adam's race by tricking them into betraying God and giving themselves this thing we call natural sin or the sin of Adam. Now, I want you to look at Ezekiel 38 with me. And I'm going to jump down to verse 7. Be ready, this is the prophet then speaking with God's voice, a sort of oracle, right? Be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be on guard for them. After many days you will be mustered, in the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance, coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land and your hordes and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day, thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme. And say, I will go up against the land, un, the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates, to seize, spoil, and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited, and the people who were gathered from the nations, who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell on the, at the center of the earth, Sheba and Dan. I'm jumping down here to verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses and great hosts of mighty army. You will come up against this people, Israel, like a cloud covering the land in the latter days. And I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. When through you, O God, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I spoke in former days? 
by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them. But on that day, the day the Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord, my wrath will be roused in my anger. Okay, I'm just going to stop for a minute. So this, this is the prophetic statement in Ezekiel that speaks to things to come. But if you're paying attention to what it says, it's strange how it also seems to be describing what happened last week. Did you notice that? See, God's not surprised by any of this. God knows all of this. And it is not God's wrath on Israel that is in question here. We as Christians in America especially are often way too ambiguous about how to feel about Israel. And it's confusing for us because Israel is, after all, a nation and it is a political uh, realm, you know. They, there are people who are nat natives of Israel who aren't particularly faithful in their religious ideologies, just like there are plenty of people who would say they're Christians, but they're not especially faithful in their Christian ideologies. But at the end of the day, God views people in groups just as, uh, as a sociologist would. You know, who do you identify with? You know, what people group do you identify with? When people ask you who you are, who do you identify with? Because God tends to look at you that way too. And so when God sees Israel, he sees the continuation of what he began when he called Jacob Israel. And then you have to go back just a little further to Jacob's ancestors, Isaac and Ishmael. And now you're getting close to the big picture. You're beginning to realize that the enemies of God, the enemy of God has manipulated certain people for generation after generation after generation toward one end, the destruction of Israel. And we as Christian believers who are made sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ, who by the way is a Jew, you must not forget that we are Israel's kindred. We are the stars that Abraham saw and was told that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars. We are those stars. We are as kindred with the people of Israel as you can be without sharing a belief that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But here's the thing, the Bible assures us that in time, almost all of the Jews are going to realize he was the guy they were looking for. And so we're really not that far apart at all. I was in Israel a couple of years ago with a group of people from this church, and we were in a hotel, and I was standing in the gift shop talking to a gentleman, 
And, and he, he looked over me at one point. I don't know what made him decide to say so, but he said, he said um, I'm a Messianic Jew. Do you know what that is? And I smiled at him and threw my hand out and shook his hand. And I said, it means you're my brother in Christ. And it was so fun. It was so fun. So let us agree then that there's suffering going on over there that is our pain. We should feel it too. I've grieved a lot this week. And not only because of their suffering, because people killed innocents for no other reason than hatred. There's no strategic value to what they did. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. There is no strategic purpose in what they did. You might be able to make a case, incidentally, of the Israelites oppressing their Palestinian neighbors and there is some justification there for being offended and urging Israel to do better than that, okay? But beyond that, there is no justification for what's happening because it's hatred. It is a hatred that is as old as Eden, and it is the enemy's desire to hurt God, let me ask you something. If you wanted to hurt me, which would hurt me worse, punching me in the nose or hurting my children and my grandchildren, right? Make it clear in your mind that what you are witnessing is evil. It's evil. No two ways about it. It's evil. So let me see if I can wrap this up for you because I know that this is complex, but I, I want us to be emotionally on the same page so that we can then go intellectually toward a sense of understanding about these things. There's nothing new about what's happening. It's been going on since the dawn of time. It is the struggle between good and evil. And the God is the source of all good and the people aligned with God are naturally the enemy of evil. Even though we're not very good at being godly Christian and Jew people, we are nonetheless God's children and we'd rather serve God than not and that puts us at odds with God's enemy. Which is why that enemy is bent on our destruction. And make no mistake about it, eventually that destruction will come to the Christians as surely as it has come to the Jews. And it will come to America as surely as it has come to Israel. Amen. It will. Because evil is that pervasive. Watch how the narrative changes over the next few weeks. Right now people are very sympathetic towards Israel because their babies have been murdered. Their children have been raped and murdered. But watch, the narrative's going to change. And Israel's going to be the enemy in the eyes of the world. And you must remember who feeds the media the lies. Where do these things come from? Follow the money. This is evil. Satan is the author of all deceit and chaos, oppression, death and decay. 
God is the author of cosmic order. Magnificent, immeasurable grace and love and mercy, self-sacrificing devotion to something beyond the flesh. And this is why we need to understand that God views all of these things from God's lofty throne outside of space and time. And therefore, God is not looking at this on a temporal timeline from point A to point Z. He's not looking at it that way. God is looking at it from a perspective we can't fully comprehend. And for God, all of this is going as expected. And you know how I know? Because the Bible tells me so. It's all there. It's all there in the Bible. And this is why I know this. And I know that God has given us a picture of things that have been things that are happening now and things that will come because God sees it all as one thing. So I understand it from that point of view. And therefore, I understand that when God looks at our lives, God doesn't look at them in a linear way either. He doesn't look at your life as day of birth till the day of death. He looks at your life as an eternal existence that he has assured because he has always desired that you would be personally with him. God sees you as you will be when Jesus returns and you in the flesh see your Redeemer face to face. He sees you, all of you, not just what you are right this minute, but what you are in his eternal scheme. Therefore, when you suffer, when horrible things happen, and yes, they'll happen to you too, you may feel as though God doesn't care about your safety, and that's understandable because God just doesn't always deliver you from things that hurt you. But he has secured you. You have security even when you don't have safety. And what this means is, is that when bad things happen to you and you suffer and even die, God isn't as worried about the temporal things as you are. And so God sees you as an eternal being and he sees you as one who will live in Eden and be the fulfillment of the original plan of dominating and populating the world with cosmic beauty and order. You get to be the best version of you that you can't even imagine. And so how do you say to someone who is grieving the death of a child? You know, how do you tell someone who's grieving their own uh, shortened life because of a diagnosis? How do you tell somebody to rejoice and give glory to God? You know what? You'd say, look, man, pain is pain and grief is grief. And when it hurts, it hurts. But you are dwelling secure in the love of God through Jesus Christ. Your soul has been preserved. God has sprinkled a preservative into you called the Holy Spirit. 
and your soul is eternal. And so I don't look forward to pain and suffering any more than anybody else, but I keep in mind that this is not all there is. And what God assures us is, is that there is a culmination to come in this battle between good and evil. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. So take this assurance that you have, this security that you have, combine it with your biblical Christian worldview and interpret the times with the Holy Spirit's help. Pray for those who suffer. Do all that you can to join God in good deeds that bring people a sense of God's love and mercy and grace. We are to be an extension of all of that. When we say that we want to be vital to the well-being of our community through Christian discipleship, that's what we mean. We mean to be extensions of Christ's love and mercy and grace to the community so that they see him at work in this community. Just as even in the midst of the chaos, the oppression and the death and decay that we witnessed in Israel, there were people who were extensions of Christ's love and mercy, grace, courageous, unbelievable sacrifices, and so on. What you saw in the enemy was mindless hatred and violence. And what you saw in the people of God, even if it's flawed, is mercy. You saw, as a friend of mine illustrated it this morning, uh, you saw people standing in front of the baby carriage while others were shooting at the baby carriage. You see... That's how we get to be Christ. And I can't promise it won't cost you a lot. But look at it eternally. Look at all of these things from God's eternal perspective. And trust that nothing is surprising God about any of this. Nothing. I'm going to stop here. I, I've been fretting over this message all week and... I just have to stop because I've got to respect your time. So let us pray. Oh, oh God, I thank you for saying whatever you need to say. It's not about me. Just speak to your servants. They're listening. They want you to comfort them in the midst of their fear. But Lord, I sense they're ready for you to give them courage and determination to stand for you, courageously facing down your enemies. And if we're not sure what to look for, Lord, we're just going to look for hatred wherever we see it. We're going to look for death and decay. We're going to look for oppression and chaos, and we're going to see that as the enemy. And we're going to fight the enemy, maybe not in a violent way, but by completely undermining the enemy's schemes. Where there is hatred, Lord, let us bring peace. Lord, where there is destruction, let us rebuild.
Lord, where there is chaos, let us bring your cosmic order. Lord, where there is death, let us breathe life from you. Where there is decay, let us recede and restore. Oh God, help us to defeat your enemy by being everything your enemy is not. Help us to be everything that you are as witnesses for your glory. Amen.